Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And in the second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy's superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate in order to navigate these turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting a guest to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Richard Louis on the joy superpower of selflessness. Richard, welcome to the show. Andrew, thanks for uh, having me and uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, we cannot talk about focus and finding and understanding joy more. So uh, when I heard about what you were doing, I was like, there's actually somebody doing this yeah. uh, and, and here we are so here we uh, are yeah <laughs> perfect yeah. and and you know selflessness is such a joy superpower and i'm going to really enjoy talking to you about that but before we do so maybe you can tell our our guests a little bit about your own journey and um, to where richard is today you betcha um you know i i'm a a news anchor and i've been doing it for about I guess 15 years or so. I started uh, my first job in the United States was at CNN, and then I uh, moved over to MSNBC and NBC News. I'm a a non-opinion journalist. Mm. Um, That doesn't mean I don't have opinions. That means that I focus, at least in my day-to-day, on what are the facts. And they aren't cheap. I mean, they, they they don't come about by, you know, getting on some search engine. Um, we work really hard at it. Yeah. And um, I think that sometimes we forget that they are not easy to get facts I'm talking about. Mm. Uh, before that, I was in business. Um, I had gone to business school at Michigan, go blue. Uh, and um, after B school, worked at Citibank for a minute. Before that, I worked for a lot of small companies, startups. Um, and before that, I, um, uh, almost, well, I shouldn't say almost, I did, uh, you know, follow a, a pretty atypical, um, educational run and arc, which we can get into in our conversation. But that's kind of me in about a nutshell. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for giving people, and I totally agree with you about the facts. Um, it's something that, you know, for the last, I don't know, decade or two decades, probably we've had a, a challenge within the world. Um, with the fake news, which was obviously brought to the fore by your last president. But even before then, I think it was a a bit of a problem in the world about the the misuse of of information and data. But that's maybe (laughs) the subject for another talk um, for us. So today we're going to talk about selflessness. And before we sort of talk a bit about your own journey into selflessness, maybe you could sort of start with what is your own definition of selfishness and one of the issues i'm sort of really keen to hear your take on is what's the relationship between selflessness and sacrifice yeah yeah um that's a lot of questions in a small amount of time mr andrew (laughs) but uh i'll start with the first one and that is um what is selflessness to me i'm learning about it um, I am approaching the very topic journalistically. Um, as you know, having read the book, that is the way I approached the topic was journalistically. Um, cause I am no expert on the topic, nor am I 
as anybody who knows me, nor am I the perfect example of selflessness. Uh, indeed, I am like everybody in that I have my bouts mm. and I have my fights and I have my opportunities to do better. Selflessness to me is that journey. And um, I, I don't know specifically where or what drove me. Well, that's not true. I don't know specifically how I made the decision in the end. It just kind of happened that way after a long discussion with my agent about it mm. um, because I had, was going through a long journey, still am, of caregiving for my parents. And um, we said, well, you know, books on caregiving don't quite, you know, you don't, you don't go to a bookstore and go in a section under caregiving. And in the past, those sorts of books maybe have not gotten the, the greatest interest. And so we tried to think bigger yep. about it. And so selflessness became this exploration for me of, well, other than not thinking of yourself at all times, not being, uh, not making decisions always about what you get out of it in, in its extreme, meaning at a hundred percent level. Yeah. Um, and, and, and why would I be the right person if that's my belief of what selflessness is? Yep. And how am I going to approach it any different than what you can read in any uh, religious text or self-help book, if you will, that, well, see, that's the issue with self-help books, is that, that we've gotten really too good at it. Mm. We've gotten really good at helping ourselves. Um, you know, a lot of the books that you've seen out there in that self-help category basically are saying, me, 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 uh, love me, love me, love me. Now, I know you agree with this in that I'm not saying don't love yourself. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we've gotten so good at just it being my envelope as to the way I would make the decisions in my life. I need to love myself. Yes. And in, in and I go so far saying that in that we can give too much. There is the, the, when we hit that point of unmitigated selflessness, we're hurting ourselves, and we've forgotten about ourselves. So I, I believe to answer your first question, what is selflessness? It's a whole bunch of different things, um, and not exactly one thing. And that's good. I mean, I think it is important for to sort of you say make this understanding that it's not one or the other correct i mean if you're being selfless that doesn't mean you have to hate yourself and that you can love yourself in a in a way that allows you also time and energy to to be selfless in your mind and in your behavior yes and how do we do it practically because it's it's great you know we can say oh you know let's not be selfish um, and how is your approach different? And, and the way that I tried to approach it, number one, is journalistically. Number two, I tried to, given my um, business background, was, okay, well, how, I, how do I prove it mm. to myself? So I've, I, we, you know, I, I worked with a scientist and a researcher to try to get to that, because if I'm going to say that to you, Andrew, I got to believe it myself. And so every page was proving to myself yep. that this is a worthwhile topic. And that's why you've got the 18 chapters and the, the way I, I laid out the 18 chapters is because I knew 
I couldn't just, you can't just write a book and says, chapter one, don't think about yourself too much. Don't be selfish. Done. Period. Okay. No, it had to be. Yeah. And so what are the barnacles on that idea? And um, it, it was an approach that required me also to think about it artistically. You know, um, why is it that we have uh, poems at the end of the book? Hmm. Why is it that I worked with uh, two comedic producers? Admittedly, I still need more help on, on comedic writing, but you know, I, this is part of an existence. And therefore, when I was writing through it, and you know, there, there are some folks that said, Richard, way too many dad jokes. Mm. Um, my dad, if you knew my dad, because he was so, he's a smiley, happy guy, but if you could say a joke straight to his face and he would just smile and laugh, but you knew he didn't get it. Uh, so uh, the, a lot of those jokes in there are because it was laughing with my father who, was battling Alzheimer's for, for, for eight years. Um, and me as his caregiver really got to understand the, the laughter in life and the laughter despite difficulty. Mm-hmm. And so um, the way I approached the book, just to finish out the point, was to add all of those realities of the way we interact hopefully with life. And, and that is why poems, that is why there's a, you know, a play sheet in the back if you're sort of a sports person. And that's why there's humor, or the attempt at humor, I should say. That's why there's so much research in there as well. That's why there are cartoons. And that's why there are graphics in there, because me being a news person, you know, that's why I like graphics and I like to see data, you know. So that's the way I kind of approached it, yeah. the way I would prove it to myself. Yeah, I like to, I mean, it sort of mirrors, you know, obviously what we're trying to do here with the art and science of joy. So to look yeah. at it both from an art perspective of how you you live a joyful life, but also to help people understand that, hey, there is good science behind this, that there is a method to the madness of applying these principles. So I think your book sort of mirrors that wonderfully and you do a really good job of giving people, you know, because different people relate to different things, right? Some people yes. go for the facts, others, hey, the poem and the story really catch them. So I think yeah. it's good to have that mix within the book and And that's true that's true yeah Uh, and and we tried to do that as you saw we tried to look at narrative stories of people i mean there's the one chapter andrew that you read which has just three stories in it of three amazing people that i got to meet on the sideline yeah of my stories and often i don't get to tell their stories because that's not the lead at the moment Mm. but i've got to meet some amazing folks on the sidelines and i don't get to tell you about it if you're just watching tv right and you can tell they left huge imprints on my psyche Hmm. and my uh my day-to-day view of people and um like tiffany parada you know in the book who i write very i i would say very uh, I'm still shocked in a good way of the value she represented, you know, when I was interviewing her and this was a, a, the, the shooting in El Paso, which you might remember as a spree shooting, a guy in a, in a moving car and he was just shooting people randomly up and down the highway. And what Tiffany does is they first all, first of all, escape she and her husband away from the shooter. And then when I was interviewing her, she tells me, but then we decide we're going to turn around mm-hmm. and we're going to try to drive past this moving car with the gunman to warn the people in front right. of his car. So they have to drive by him. 
And they do that. You know, they roll down the windows or screaming outside, get out of the way, get away. There's a shooter behind us. Right. And, and, you know, it was, a uh, it was an old, uh, as I write, it was an old suburban, um, they're trying to drive like a hundred miles an hour, uh, for those of you who still use miles. And, um, I remember at the end and, and I was asking her, I said, well, um, why did you and your husband do, do this? Um, do, do, do you have, do you have children? Yes. Mm-hmm. Where were they? in the back seat. And I remember her and I said, well, what are their names and their ages? And she said, you know, uh, well, there's John who's six and Elizabeth who's three. Mm-hmm. And then she broke up. She couldn't, she realized what they had done mm-hmm. and she had her whole world in the back seat, her whole world. But she decided with her husband, they're going to try to help other people. Just you at that moment, it's not like they sat and they had charts out on the side. No, if we do this, this is the risk and this is the reward. They turned around after being shot at. And, you know, when I interview people like that, you know, boy, you and I got a lot of work to do. I, I don't I don't know your full background, Andrew, but I'm guessing you and I haven't done something like that. No. And that you may have. But my point is, when you meet someone like Tiffany Parada at that moment, who is so such a selfless hero, you kind of want to dig in into how do you get to that point? Mm. What is it that brings you to that? And this is that exploration yeah. of what are the different things that may have led her to do that that day. Yeah. And I think it is that, you know, it's that combination of the facts and then these that get you started but then it's really these stories that you know take you to the next level and sort of make you get to the end to say okay well now let me think about the exercise let me think about how I can implement to move in that direction even if I'm not going to make that decision tomorrow that at least is the direction I want to move my values in my life in so I think that's really inspirational to do that um so talking a little bit more about the book and you know the title is enough about me the unexpected power of selflessness and i think one of the things that you know may seem at least on first hearing a bit of a paradox is that you spend quite a lot of the book talking about how selflessness brings great benefits to oneself <laughs> yes <laughs> So that made me laugh. And obviously yeah, I know. I'm researching the benefits. Um, but can you just point out a few of them now <laughs> that you really see as some of the key ones that people might be wondering? How can I be selfless and give this a benefit to me? Don't stop, Andrew. I'm glad you did that. Because if I were interviewing me, I would ask the same question. And there's obviously the other question of why do I talk so much about myself in a book that says enough about me? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's about selflessness, which I am more than... And it's one of the great debates I had with the team. There's a team of 10 of us that I would go mm. back. But why are we bringing, I'm like, what we're, we're talking, why, why is there so much about me? And it's enough about me. And, and, and I'll get to that. But yeah, there's some unintended benefits of selflessness. And I, I was really thinking, this is towards the, the last third of my journey in writing this, mm. as I was sitting with the team and I was going, but aren't the, because I call this the anti-self, self-help book. And I was like, but the typical self-help book talks about how do you look better? How do you live longer? How do you make more money? That's, that's, 
That's the how you you know those are the typical topic areas of self help books. Correct. So I so said, why can't we do that? Let's do that too. Let's go out and so me and the team started to dig into okay if we're selfless, do we make more money? Do we look better? Mm. You know, do we live longer? The unintended benefits of selflessness say yes to all three of those categories. You live longer by four years, mm. according to the research that we dug into. If you truly live a selfless life, if you say that you live a selfless life, but you don't, you actually live two years less than the average. <laughs> like fooling yourself. Yeah, don't fool yourself. Don't lie. Mm. Do it like you are, Andrew. And, and one thing about your focus on joy is very, when I, when you, when you and I first made connection, I was like, this is excellent because one of my mantras um, about a lot of things, but especially caregiving and taking care of my father and now my mother was joy despite difficulty. And I say that so much in what I've done in, in the media stuff like the book and, and the movies that I've worked on is because you cannot ignore the difficulty of, and I, this is a bit above my pay grade again, you can't, we can't ignore the difficulty of life, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't run towards the joy that you are. Correct. And it's those two together and everything in between. And it's that different things for different people at different times, right? You know, and yes, so yes. you need to realize that, you know, when you're going through a hard period in your life, or whether that's, you know, your own illness or, you know, the death of a loved one, and that then your joy is is basically getting to point zero that day, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah right, right. I'm not thinking of killing myself today. It's a good day, right? That's right. And, and, you know, so it's all circumstantial. It's not just this pursuit of happiness as sort of an idealistic sort of way, but to realize that, yeah, life has its ups and downs and your life yes. will go up and down with those. But as you say, your desire is to raise the bar just a little bit above where you would have been otherwise. There is more than one flavor of joy. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And uh, they're all doggone tasty. Definitely. And you know, to, everybody has to find their own. So. That's right. And it's gonna be different every day. Yeah. Um, do, so you live longer. Mm. Uh, do you look better? Yeah, you do. So I didn't believe that one. So <laughs> said, let's have some fun with this, Richard. And they said, we're going to make you a subject of it. And so, again, book called Enough About Me. Here I am doing research with me as a subject. I know, I know. But I, I really wanted to say, well, if I'm going to say this to you, I got to have a little fun with this topic. Mm. And so we did, the, the, the scientist put out a picture of me, uh, there were three different me's that they had laid out. There was selfish Richard, and there was selfless Richard, and there was one in between. Mm. And there were three descriptors under each picture. And depending who you, uh, what, which one you got, you would only get one. Um, well, excuse me, you would get uh, all three, and you would pick reading the descriptors, which one was more selfish or selfless, but you only get one picture, right? And you get one of the, one of the different descriptors. It, it, and in the end, what the, what the research found was that selfish Richard, uh, was a six roughly mm. and selfless Richard. I'm, I'm not, I'm not hot as a selfish person. And I'm also not hot as a selfless person. I'm a seven. Right. Uh, but the key is, <laughs> Andrew, that I went up, mm. 
by, you know, just do our math, 15%. Mm. Um, so do I look better? Do you, yeah, but do you look better as a selfless person? You do. Yeah. And there's other studies that we allude. There are some people that saw 100% jump in that same construct. Um, wow. Do you make more money? You do. Uh, over a 14-year course of research data, data is that you make about 50% more over that course of 14 years mm -hmm. if, you, if you are a selfless contributor to your organization. Right. Now, who wouldn't take that? Yeah. And what does that mean to be a selfless person at work? You know, it's about team building. It's about giving. It's about being grateful. It is about praising. It is about thinking about how we all do mm. good jobs together as opposed to how do I shine and stand out compared to others. And that's a lot of data over 14 years that we dug into. So, yeah, you do make more. You do look better, Andrew, and you do live longer. These are all unintended benefits. Again, we don't theoretically do that, do be selfless for those outcomes, but some nice externalities. Mm. Yeah, there's certainly cool side benefits to have as a yeah. result of being selflessness. I suppose the money one's interesting because, you know, it sort of goes against the grain of especially, you know, I'm English, but obviously I spend a lot of time in the US um, where I, you know, witness a bit of this um, neo-capitalism and this sort of wolf of Wall Street mentality of you know you've got to kill the competition to get on in yes. life and this sort of goes against the grain of that right so. it, it does um but as we were talking about the different flavors of happiness and joy um there are different flavors of selflessness that doesn't mean every day you're in the same gear yeah. I, I i mean I, again way above my pay grade but it also i mean that there are days where you are going to have to be a little bit less a little bit more of something else yeah Correct. But the general ethos, the underlying modus operandus that you have is to collaborate, to be helpful, to uplift others and to think right. of the team. And uh, and when one person, that's a great, because it doesn't have to be these um, great miracles that we read about uh, of selflessness. You know, with, with Desmond Tutu just passing, mm. he was not a, a perfect uh, man of religion. He was not. Neither was Mother Teresa. You know, uh, many stories uh, that have been told about how Mother Teresa would just do the funniest things that were not why she became such an amazing person. I mean, you wouldn't think it fits in. And I, I do write about it in the book. Um, you know, so it, it is certainly not the, the, the MO that you're alluding to. We don't always we're not always in it. We try our best. Yeah. And they're not always these great miracles. That's another important point uh, that we make about muscle tone yeah. and muscle strength and muscle memory is that it, it is going to be the bringing in the donuts to work. Yeah. It is going to be cleaning the counter at work. It is going to be holding the door open for the person. It's about saying thank you yeah. at work for things that we don't say thank you to. You know, the, the mail gets put on, on your desk. Mm -hmm. Did we forget to say thank you? Yeah. Um, is, is it, I'm going to get a cup of coffee at the canteen. Hey, Andrew, can I grab you one too? Would you like a water? Right. You know, uh, I can get you, grab you water. Oh, oh, you know, these sort of things that get us the muscle tone mm -hmm. so that when the big things happen, we can leap right. is a, is an important point in the book 
because and, and again this isn't rocket science and i and i accept that because it's not meant to be but yes those things work why is it that tiffany parada and her husband decided to turn around their car something in their life over time showed them that's the right thing to do i never got to ask her what got her the muscle tone but when she hit that big cavern that big hole in the ground which was fear and death and risk she leapt over it yeah and i know what was it her parents was it something that she, she where she worked at day to day you know it's a lot like um the healthcare workers across the world yeah why are they going to work yeah. <laughs> right Andrew? Right. why are they going to work would you go to work i wouldn't go to work mm. i mean i i mean I remember in the beginning I'd interview them. They'd be talking to us in their, with their cell phone in the car and their scrubs. And they'd finished the interview. They were crying and they were, weren't sure. I mean, for their, they were very upset because of the number of people dying and they couldn't help them. Yeah. They couldn't even bring their loved ones mm -hmm. to their patients. They didn't have the solutions. They didn't have any, they didn't know what they were dealing with and they themselves were at risk. Yeah. But they still today and did go to work. We put down the camera and walk out of the car and go straight back in. Yeah. What is it? And, and you know, that was what was, because I was sitting in this very spot when I was writing the book, and I'd hear, you can tell there's some sun coming off to my left. Yeah. I would hear the sirens here in Manhattan about every 10 or 15 minutes, and I'm in the middle of the block. It's hard to hear stuff. But I would hear those sirens wow. every 15 minutes. And it really hit my brain and my psyche to say, yeah, put one plus one together, which is all this horrible stuff. And why are they still going to work? And it's because that's what they do every day in their profession. Yeah. And their you say it's tone. not the first act of selflessness. You know, this is, uh, as you say, a muscle tone, a muscle memory thing that has a huge impact from birth, maybe even before um, how this all gets to be started. Um, so it's amazing these people I mean yeah um, we all have to raise our our hats to them and be grateful for the work that they they've been doing and are continuing to do it is amazing and the way we can try to be a little bit like them is doing those things that we talked about just a second ago and, and one that is really I know exercises a lot of different muscles in my brain um, and there aren't many was uh, in is when I'm deciding whether to give money to a person who's living in the street for the night. Mm. It's been my great debate every time I walk by. And now I will walk by almost always. And then I'll pull out a dollar or a couple bucks and I'll walk back and I'll give it. Yeah. And that I know is helping me do what I, what I wrote about. And that's why I wrote about it because I was trying to teach myself, yeah, you need to do that, Richard, mm. because it's not the perfect decision. That act of selflessness is not 100% selfless, yeah. nor is it going to be the right outcomes necessarily for the person receiving that dollar or two or three. Um, but I know that there's the odds 51% or greater, it's good. Yeah. And if it's 51% good, I'm doing the right thing. No, I think it's the right direction. It's the right. Yeah, that's right. If it's 49% possibility that this money will not be used mm -hmm. as is intended, 
for food yeah. or shelter. If it's not used for that which is it is intended, that's okay. But that's the 49% yeah. or less. Yeah. I'm betting they're going to use it for the things that, you know, are good for them and good for all of us. So it that sort of muscle development is something I'm still working on. And yeah, you notice I say I walk by and then I come back. Yeah. It's not my first intuition to, but I'm, but I'm going back. And, and I, that's what I, I, I'm trying to push myself, Andrew, because I, as you know, I write about if it's 51% good, do it. Because mm. there are no, yeah. you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not. I did, I did that. I was in Rome in September and uh, just I just realized the same thing. Yeah, I walked by this guy with a little puppy just lying there and I was rushing and, you know, sort of doing my phone thing. Uh, and, and, and then it grabbed me. And so I just had to pop into the, the little shop there, you know, buy, buy a little sandwich, take it back uh, and say, there you go. You know, give some exactly. for yourself, some for the dog. And I, that carried me through the whole day, you know, just yeah. that little act. Um, just lifted my step. You know, um, in the chapter about gratitude, this these sort of happy hormones, if you will, happy chemicals that we get. Um, I write about the gratitude letter. It's a beautiful one, yeah. And you talked about putting the pep in your step for the day. Is that when you write a letter to somebody to show them you are so grateful for who they are and what they've done, for you or for others, um, the research that we uh, access for that shows that you are having that pep in your step chemically mm. for a month. Wow. Um, that, you know, endorphins, uh, higher. Uh, when, you, when you talk about the cortisol, the stress hormone, lower. And that gratitude letter, um, which I wrote to my father, um, yeah, um, it's, it's good to do. It's simple and it's powerful. Simple and powerful. Do it. It's really. Yeah, I think I'd really both highly recommend that to everybody. Yes, I haven't done that yet, but I haven't done it for a while. Get the pen out, get the paper out, and then read it, it in the them. post. Especially, I think when it comes through the mailbox. Oh boy! Yeah, and it's not a bill. <laughs> That's going, right. What is this? Yes, exactly. It's a special thing. Um, and obviously, we talked a little bit about the pandemic when talking about the caregivers. There's, I suppose, I do have a question around the pandemic and selflessness. Um, how do you see it impacting selflessness? Are people being more selfless or are they being more selfish or is it a mix? And if it's a mix, can you see any sort of distinguishing characteristics? Who go, Who's going which way? Yeah. Um... I think it's been a time of more light being shown on everything. Mm. And um, we see more. Um, we've seen the, the great divides of many of our segments of the society during, during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, we've seen um, more of ourselves, more of our family, and the values that are being uh, exercised and Sometimes we don't like what we're seeing of ourselves and others. Yeah. Um, in general, with the reestablishment of the importance of the core family, um, if you're a glass half full guy, like I know you are and I am, I believe that the, you know, in, in also in my storytelling, I, I, 
I'm, I'm trying to think of concrete examples that say during the pandemic, yeah, the core family is stronger and better. And I, I, we haven't necessarily focused on that, nor, nor do we, I haven't seen the research. It, it may be out there, but when you're at home for a year and you don't go out and your, your kids are home mm. as well during that entire time. And in addition to that, when you, uh, get sick and if you have symptoms related to COVID, you were for the first time since, um, the first world war, I should say, well, in the U.S., since um, the Civil War here and during the World Wars when we made major changes in terms of the way we care for people, you were cared for at home. We just went back to that during COVID where you had the high fever and you had the cough and the doctors were saying, stay home until you can't breathe. That's pretty extreme. Mm. And my gut tells me that therefore, yeah, um, we're probably a little bit more selfless now than we were before all being said during COVID. Cause we've, we've had to reestablish those bonds and those, those basic obligations of family during the civil war in the United States, they would cut off your leg and then they'd send you home and your children would take care of you during the first world war is when we first saw the, now we care for people not at home because you're overseas and you're now cared for by a system by a government, uh, by a non-family member. So yeah, I mean, Andrew, I think my, my gut is hopeful that this is because of those dynamics mm. that we care more about people than we did before. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> seen some research amongst families with children that, that that has been the case, that this increase in, in family time has, has brought them more together. Most of them, obviously there are cases yeah. where it's gone the other way, unfortunately. You know, it's as you say, it shines a light. So if there were That's problems, right. it's shining a light on those problems, and not everybody knows how to deal with those problems themselves. And That's right. Couldn't get help like they could otherwise. Those problems have escalated, obviously, within that confined yeah. environment. But I think before, on balance, you're right. On balance, I think the the move is is yeah. in this direction towards selflessness, especially as we're coming out of it, I think. And that's part of the great resignation um, as people are sort of questioning how they're spending their time and what they want to do with their lives. Uh, many people are, are saying that they want more belonging. They want more joy, more serving others if they can in their lives. So I think that's a, that's a great thing for that and i know you know we talked at the beginning a bit about selfishness and sacrifice and you mentioned yourself mother Teresa, that she wasn't necessarily the saint everybody makes she her does. out to be um but she was she was a good person and you yeah. know most people probably cannot live up even to that degree of selflessness in their lives but that doesn't mean as we've talked about a fair bit that we shouldn't try to integrate principles of selflessness into our everyday lives and I know your book is full of wonderful tips on how to do that, and we won't have time to go through them all here. But if you had to say your own personal favorites, we mentioned the gratitude letter, but some others, personal favorites you have, which people could start to integrate the principles of selflessness. Yeah, the most important thing is the idea of uh, 10 stones. Um, and we, because we like to make perfect decisions. And so one of the, 
being a market researcher yourself and me doing some market research, being a marketer in my former life uh, in business, uh, was a conjoint analysis. Mm. And a conjoint analysis, if you go search, do a quick web search on it, it is a fairly simple but sophisticated um, values um, tool for folks like Andrew, like yourself. What you, we're trying to find out, okay, well, what do you prefer, A or B? Well, A or B isn't that simple. And what the conjoint analysis does is it takes in like 10 factors on both sides of the A or B decision. The 10 stones approach to decide whether to do something selfless, because we're just built to want to do perfect decisions, perfect choices about doing selfless things. And the, con the, the 10 stones is you have A or B, put your 10 stones in those two buckets. And if it's a 6-4 for yes, then you do it. Uh, because otherwise, we're, we're always hoping that's a 10 stone yes. And it's almost never that. But if it's a six yes, you do it. If it is a four stone yes, because you only have 10 stones, mm. then you don't do it. Okay. And the reason why it's a conjoint analysis using 10 stones, and sorry, I love to nerd out on this because I don't know a lot about conjoint analysis. Yeah. I've, done, I've done them before in, in my old career. But our brain is instantly adding the 10 factors of qualities and characteristics of a yes without having to write it down. Can you imagine we wrote it, wrote it down every time we're trying to decide whether to do something selflessly? Drive us well, nuts. So, in our whole life, we'd never get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, a, it's like, do I make a call to say hello to a friend? Hmm. Do I have time? When's the last time I spoke to that person? Are they a nice person? Am I a nice person? I'm hungry. I mean, all those things fit into that 10 stones. Yeah. Do I give a dollar or $3 or $5 to the person living in the street tonight? Um, I, that has been supremely helpful for me because I always want to make these perfect decisions, mm. but now I, I'm acting. Right. You're and giving yourself permission to make imperfect, good decisions, but imperfect that's right. decisions. Yeah. And what really informed me of that, Andrew, was watching my father, who was a pastor. Um, and I remember when I was younger, in my teens, I would go, golly, how can this guy be a pastor? He is so imperfect. Mm. You know, he, he. He's selfish. Uh, he 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 makes wrong decisions. Um, he isn't that godly uh, by his definition. Why? And then as I got older, I realized that no, indeed, he was. Uh, he's a godly person and a good person, but he's absolutely imperfect. Yeah. And in that imperfection, he's good. And so that's just the way behind the six to ten stones. Because if you have three decisions in front of you, you put those stones in the three buckets. Your brain is actually not thinking of just one characteristic or one factor in that decision. It's actually putting all of them together at the same time. And yeah, I'm not going to have a perfect decision. But at least I'm going to make one that's more good than it is bad. Yeah. And I think as we go back to this muscle memory of, of making these good decisions, of, of acting, um, you know, because I think so many people think, but don't act. And it's through the process of acting, of actually doing it, even if it is imperfect, yeah. even if it isn't the, the perfect person to give the, the money to, because around the next corner, there might be yeah. more needy, right? So no, I'm not going to give it to this guy. Um, yeah. And then you end exactly. up home and spending it on yourself, right? You can, uh, yeah, you can do all sorts of, one other uh, quick little thing that I like that's been really helpful for me as a journalist is um, 
there was a study that we dug into out of Stanford, despite me not liking Stanford, uh, uh, go bears is that they, uh, for those of you who know the, the two schools I'm alluding to, uh, is that they, they set up a study of hundreds of pairs of people mm. that did not like each other because of their race. And they found that after three meetings, three lunches, three gatherings, that the going back to cortisol, um, dopamine, endorphins, and a qualitative um, study uh, questionnaire, that at the beginning, though the prejudice view of the other person was this high, mm. at the end of three meetings, it was this low. Wow. After three meetings. Only three meetings, yeah. And that says a lot about giving, thinking of outside of what we believe to be right. Oh, that group, you know, those Asians, they're this way and they're that way and blah, 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 blah. Well, sit down yeah. and do the three lunches. And I bet you, like in that study where they did it with hundreds of pairings, that you'll end up on a, on a better place uh, yeah. by just thinking outside yourself for a moment, outside of what you think is right about another group, mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and you're most likely wrong. Well, that gives me hope, you know, because one of the concerns I have at the moment, you know, is over the, the years of social media and of um, mainstream media as well, of how it's dividing people into polarizing them into these echo chambers, so to speak, that, you know, you only hear stories that you want to hear um, because that's what you've listened to last time. So they're going to feed you more of that stuff so you can click it. Um, so you're going to get more and more related to the same people the same ideas and hear less and less about other opinions but what you're saying is we could quite quickly maybe change that dynamic if we have tools and infrastructure to actually bring people together um, the natural tendency would be to, to want to understand to want to engage with the other person that's right practices mm -hmm. um and one of those things is yeah i'm not saying don't embrace difference. I'm not saying that, nor am I saying don't embrace sameness. I'm saying both. Mm. Through embracing difference, we embrace sameness. We find sameness through difference. Yeah. And the things that we do, like in social media, which is not, um, and you know, I think at its core bad, it's just that we, we don't porpoise. We don't go into the groups that we like and then come back out. We st we're staying in the groups that we like. It's when we do that and then we come back up and then we porpoise, just like with the the me you stuff. Yeah, it can't be just me and it can't be just you. It's got to be porpoising. Right. Um, That's a good way to and, put it. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, look, there's some certainly some countervailing considerations based on what co COVID may make us better as as people and as societies. Um, but what's against us is the, 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 that countervailing trend. Like we, we looked into research of the words used in books mm. over the last hundred years. And just summarizing here that selfish words, if, if books were to be the most highly edited and the most well thought out for a moment, if you give me that assumption, yes. you can argue against it, certainly. Just read my book. Uh, <laughs> but if you go, if, if going through all the words, we're using more selfish words than we are using selfless words. That's a huge countervailing wind if yes. that data point 
is correct and telling us what I think it's telling us. Yeah. I mean, language is so important and not only how we talk about ourselves, but how we talk about others as well influences who we actually become. So yeah, I can definitely see that point within there and that history, but history is to be changed. It's to be made different tomorrow by people like you. Um, so, you know, thank you for doing that and shining a light on selflessness rather than selfishness in the self-help book sector. Ah, so thank you, really Andrew. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our, our time today. Um, one question I would like to ask you is I know, and you know, I highly recommend that people go out and get your book as one example of selflessness, but who are some of the thought leaders that you follow? Who are some of the people that inspire you on your journey? Well, um, there are a bunch and I was so lucky enough to have them go through it. And on the back cover, there are some folks that really stand out to me. Paula Madison, um, who is a leader and a thinker when it comes to understanding different uh, racial backgrounds, really fantastic in terms of her leadership and what she has done and what she has written. And I have her book behind me, which is on her journey, finding who she is and where she came from. She has a great uh, documentary out as well on that journey. And there's another one here. I was lean over here and I just got this and Priya Parker, the heart of gather, the art of gathering. Mm. And we were just talking about gathering a moment ago. Yep. Um, and if, uh, if we're going to gather, cause it helps us get better, then I want to do it the right way. Yeah. And so Priya Parker's book Great. is one that I, I just got and, and have, you know, begun to read and I really enjoy. Um, there is another one up here. I'm trying to see it's right over there from a whisper to a rallying cry. That's my bookshelf up there. Okay. From a whisper to a rallying cry. And that book, um, is written about, um, a, a person in American history that is not very well known. His name is Vincent Chin, um, who, um, was murdered. And it's very well thought out book about society and the way we look and understand people. Wow. So um, those are some of the ones that I'm, I'm reading recently. Well, that's wonderful. I'm sure our listeners will find some inspiration from that. So thank, you. <laughs> thank you, Richard. And um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. And you know, I'd like to thank you, but I'd also like to thank our listeners for taking the time today. And I hope they feel you know, as inspired and empowered by I am by my chat with you about the joy superpower of selflessness and uh, bring joy not only to your own life but also to the lives of others as you say it's for the self and for community so for yes. so thank you're you. amazing andrew thank you so much and for the two people that are still awake after this discussion <laughs> thank you as well for being here we're going to thank them and for those two people if they do want to follow you or find out more about you where should they go oh my handles are uh, richard lui Richard L-U-I. Um, and thank you for even considering it. That is super simple. That is super simple. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening and, and hope you really enjoyed the chat today. And, and I hope you tune in for the next episode of the Art and Science of Joy podcast. Until then, stay well, stay joyful and stay selfless. Thank you, Richard. Amen. Thank you, Andrew.